This episode of Finding Demo Surf Fishing has been brought to you by The Sinker Guy. Head on over to thesinkerguy.com and take a look at all the stuff that Chip has got going on in The Sinker Guy garage. You need Sputniks? He's got you covered. Do you want to get the Bruno rig? Because we don't talk about Bruno. He's got the Bruno rig. Anything you might need, go take a look over at thesinkerguy.com and he'll get it out to you very quickly and you'd be surprised how fast that stuff gets to you. Thanks, Chip, for always being a part of this show and taking care of me. This week on Finding Demo Surf Fishing, we are headed over to Georgia, and we are talking with the Kids Can Fish Foundation. If you guys haven't taken a look at them before, you're missing out on a lot of really good things in the programs that they're doing. Not only that, they catch some seriously awesome fish and have done some... Uh, I don't even know if I have the right word for perfect is kind of that one they're just doing so many great things in this whole world for kids and with their whole programs so without further ado we're going to get right into that you're listening to finding demo surf fishing here we go buddy new week new episode always good hope you were doing well wherever you are and that things have just been crushing for you out in the surf you've been catching those new pbs prs uh, unfortunately i have not been out much the florida weather has reminded me that this is uh, florida summertime and it's been raining every single uh, afternoon and day so unfortunately the fish are getting a pass right now but that's all right i'm gonna get on them soon like I said, when we started out, we're talking with the Kids Can Fish Foundation. You can take a look at them online at kidscanfish.net. You can find them on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, Kids Can Fish. You search all that, you're going to be rewarded with a ton of great pictures, information, and knowledge. And without me constantly just talking here, we're going to get right into it. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Tom Lewis. Sir, welcome. Glad to have you here. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Brian. Well, I've been... So we got to meet at ICAST finally. I've seen you on social media for a while, uh, and it's been it, it's been impressive seeing all the stuff uh, that you guys have done. You and Caroline are just out there crushing it all the time and spreading the good news and running these really awesome seminars and fishing events with these kids. It, it's been beyond impressive, man. I, congratulations on being so successful with this. Oh, I appreciate that. Um Honestly, we, we never knew that we were going to grow to this magnitude, and we really don't have any goals or objectives on how big it gets. All we want to do is provide where we can provide, put camps on where we can put camps on, and and uh, not lose focus of having fun and um, reaching as many families as we can. So we've, we've done really good. We're really proud of uh, this little uh, 501c3 foundation that Caroline created uh, just shy about two years ago now. And it's been growing ever since. Um, I know I learned about it last year, and I, I've seen it grow via social media. I, I've never, unfortunately, I haven't been over to your area to come really actually partake in any of the events. But it's just been steadily growing. It, and your area that you normally run these, is this all out of the Georgia area? So we do a lot here in our home base. So we're near St. Simons Island and Jekyll Island, so we have access to good coastline. Uh, we have access to good freshwater systems here inland, which... Um, really not our focus that much. We do some personally, and then we spend a lot of time in Florida. We get a lot of Florida draw to, to come down and help. And then obviously 
Um, some of our biggest supporters are down there in fish um, in Florida, like Fish Bites, um, incredibly helpful in supporting us. And obviously in your intro, uh, the sinker guy, Chip, is a huge supporter of us. So we spend quite a bit of time in Florida, and we're only uh, about 45 minutes from the Florida line, so it's kind of like our second platform. Oh, that's nice. I didn't know it was that far away, or that close. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say far away. 45 minutes is a nice little jaunt. Yeah, to Jacksonville, we're, we're pretty close. So we, uh, we can get to Florida waters pretty easy, and uh, we try to get down there as much as we can. Very cool. Okay. So let's back this up um, to the beginning, but I, I wanted to bring up one thing before actually before we even start the interview. Uh, a lot of pictures have been popping up of Caroline from uh, iCast, her throwing the nets on people, showing them how it's done. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of where this whole thing began. I would um, I'd be fishing in the backyard for bass, and Caroline would be like three, four, five years old, and always took a liking to animals in the outdoors. And one year, she specifically asked for a cast net. So, of course, she got a cast net for Christmas, and I had a training ring. And I threw the cast net the first time and showed her, this is how you do this. And at this time, she was just shy of seven. And I showed her, this is the training net, and this is how you throw it. I threw it in the pond behind her house and caught a gar of all things. And she was just, she was floored. She couldn't believe it. She's like, that's amazing. She picked the thing up, and within a handful of throws, she's throwing the thing wide open. And I'm like, this, this is kind of not normal, I think, because <laughs> even I had a hard time throwing a cast net. And she graduated out of the training ring neck very quickly and put her on a, a very simple, like, three-foot net. And it's just, it's something that came really easy for. Um, and still to this day, she, she continually is going up in size on the cast nets that she throws. And uh, she created her own little system of throwing the net. And um, that's how we, we got down to ICAST is um, Promar Ahi USA, another huge supporter of the Kids Camp Fish Foundation, um, invited her to do demos in their booth. So we've been fortunate enough the last two years to join Promar Ahi in their booth and Caroline leads cast net demonstrations at the world's largest fishing convention, which is pretty wild. Yeah, she's very, very good at throwing a net. It was, it was great to watch because I actually picked up a few chips from her because I can't throw a net to save my life. I suck at it. And I, granted, I just started, but watching her, I was like, oh, you grab it like that. I get it. Yeah, so please thank her for me because, you know, I'm, I'm an old dog that can still learn new tricks, and she really helped me out there. I can do that. <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, you've already opened it, so let's go ahead and go down this route. Um, we'll get back to the fishing stuff later. And you kind of started it here, but so tell us about the Kids Can Fish Foundation and how it began. Yeah, so um, we were on an offshore fishing trip, and Caroline, she has her rod bent over, and she's got a decent fish. And um, I'm thinking, you know, red snapper, or maybe she's got a redfish offshore. And she always wanted to catch cobia. <clears throat> she gets this fish up to the boat, and of course, it's it's a keeper cobia. And we get the fish on the boat, and she's celebrating, and I'm just watching her in her celebration. And without uh, provoking her, she says, "Girls can't fish." She just yells it out loud, <laughs> and I I instantaneously stopped, and I was like, "Caroline," I was like, "That's that's you." I'm like, "Girls can fish." That's exactly right. And I'm like, "That's like your tagline." So jokingly around the house we would say girls can't fish and between her and i whenever she would catch you know we'd do a celebration we actually we have a handshake that only her and i do with each other she then started saying well dad can i make a logo 
I'm like, well, where are you going with this? Now, mind you, she's, she's nine years old at the time. And she's like, well, I want a Girls Can't Fish logo. I was like, well, why don't you draw something? So she drew a G and she drew a C and then she drew the F and the F was a, a bent over fishing pole with a fish jumping out of water at a distance. I was like, that's pretty cool, actually. I was like, <laughs> I don't think I could have done that good. So a friend of mine who, who has some ability on a computer uh, mocked that up for me. And I was like, um, Caroline, is this kind of what you were thinking of? She's like, yeah, that looks awesome. And um, next thing you know, she's like, well, I want a YouTube channel. I'm like, you're nine. We're not doing YouTube. Um, but what I did do was I made a Girls Can Fish Facebook group. And what it was originally was just very close friends and family for me to share Caroline's fishing adventures. And just like anything else, people that we know that were close to us are like, we'll make that public or share that. Can I share this? And I'm like, yeah, what's the harm? You know, it's a fishing video. Like, let's let it, let it be shared. And the next thing you know, I'm getting messaged from people. We want to join the group, want to join the group. And I was like, this isn't what the intention was of this thing. <laughs> and Girls Can Fish was developed. So Girls Can Fish is slowly growing. And we start realizing that there's more there because a lot of the parents and people that were on the Girls Can Fish Facebook group were saying, well, what about the boys? And our first conversations, early conversations with Caroline, she was like, well, dad, this is about girls that can fish. I was like, I know. I go, but what about, what about little boys or, or kids that have parents that don't know how to fish, but see your stuff and are kind of impressed about what you're doing. And she's like, well, maybe we can incorporate the boys and organically through conversations here, the kids can fish page was started. And when we started the kids can fish, it was actually the group was the first one. Um, that's kind of where it exploded. We got fast growth in the kids can fish group. Um, fish bites jumped on right out of the gate and was like, yeah, we'll send you some stuff down. We'll help you out. However we can Brad at fish bites was, you know, let's see the test time and let's see where you go with this. So we're growing and a lot of these cast net videos are out there of Caroline and an individual from Promar Nahi is named Stephen, Stephen Howie. One of their sales managers is messaging me back and forth and just like stuff about kids fishing. Well, little did I know he represents, you know, a national brand for cast nets. He's like, I'd like to send you some nets and like to talk to you about maybe doing something with Caroline and I developed a friendship with him. I now go fishing with him in Louisiana. He invites us to ICAST, like great people. So this organic thing that started with a cobia catch turned into two Facebook groups and then people wanting us to do things as far as teaching them how to fish. So when we realized that people were asking us for our knowledge base and fishing specific to kids, we were like, well, we can do more with this. There's, there's a way for us to impact and help kids. And we're like, well, let's throw together a camp. So we threw together a camp here locally. We got some rods and reels donated. Um, a local restaurant here bought fishing shirts. We cooked a lunch and we had 35 kids out to our first camp. And instantaneous, we were like, this is what we need to be doing. Um, we did cast net camp there. Caroline led uh, instruction at that camp and like immediately 
um, putting Caroline in that element with kids and, and me and some of the, the friends that we have that help us with these camps and clinics, we're like, this is where this is going. And organically became a 501c3 that with the intentions of keeping it local and small has grown to thousands and thousands of people across the country supporting us and trying to help us and sponsorships. And I think by the end of this year, because we have a camp this Sunday, will be seven camps in one year, which is way more than I ever imagined. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's huge, man. Seven in a year. That's that's a lot of growth. And this started when she was nine, I believe you said? Yeah, so she, this whole Girls Can't Fish thing was around nine. Um, but we didn't become an official 501c3 until right around the first of the year last year. It was right around, I think we filed our paperwork around Thanksgiving um, the paperwork came back. It was December. So we've, we've been a full state and federal 501c3 for maybe it's a little over here. I have to go back and look. It was in 2021 sometime. So once we started, when people started giving us, you know, product to use and donations, um, we had to go the 501c3 route. So that was never even in the realm of something I thought we were going to do. I thought it was just going to be this uh, small little family friendly thing you know, that we kept internal to our little group, but it's, it's blown up, you know, probably the number one question I have from people. Well, there's, there's two questions. One people say, well, how much money is kids can't fish making you? Um, kids can't fish doesn't make us any money. I don't get paid. Caroline doesn't get paid. My wife who helps a great friend of mine, Brandon helps quite a bit. You met Brandon and I cast. Yep. Nobody, nobody gets paid for our time and our services. What we do is we use the money that we raise to support our camps, obviously, because that's our largest mission. And then there are things, obviously, that we have to um, spend to support, just operational costs, basic overhead things. If Caroline came downstairs tomorrow and said, Dad, I need X, Y, Z, you know, for fishing because I need it, then maybe the foundation would support that. But I'll ask her, like, Caroline, what do you, what do you want for fishing? I was like, is there anything that you need? And she's like, no, I got everything I need because people have been really generous and helping us. And uh, it's, it's amazing. If I reach out to somebody and she needs something or kids can't fish, needs something to help a camp operate or to help us move in a platform, move a platform in a different direction. It's usually a pretty easy. Yes. It's just been absolutely heartening with people that want to help us. So it's been a, it's been an amazing experience, very overwhelming, um, but in a good way, it's just been truly incredible. I can only imagine. And you guys are doing great stuff. So congratulations again. I'll say it probably a thousand times to this podcast. So I'm going to apologize now. <laughs> no, no, appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So we've got the kids can fish with how it began. Uh, so what does the foundation do? Yeah. So, you know, we fundraise throughout the year. Um, we're going to talk about the surf fishing uh, tournament here. I'm, I'm sure as we get down in the podcast, but we, yep. we raise funds periodically through the year and, Right now, our main focus is to provide um, fishing camps and clinics throughout uh, the southeast because our, our, our main rule right now is um, we want to be at each camp. Um, we want to be able to provide, you know, that camp service um, in person because we've had, we've had people ask, can you bring one to Pennsylvania? Somebody wanted us in New Jersey. Another guy wanted us in Washington State. And I told these people, I was like, that, that's a honorable thought moving down the road, but we're not that mobile yet. So our goal is to be physically able to be at the camp, 
because we know what we want the brand to be and we know the service we can provide when we're putting on a camp. So right now, pretty much within, we got to be about a half day drive, a stone's throw from where we live uh, to put on a camp. We just try to put on as many of those as we can. The last one we had, the date escapes me, it was like six or eight weeks ago. We did a shark fishing camp on St. Simon's Island and the fishing was awful. The surf was bad. The wind was bad. We have a ton of kids that came out and you start seeing people leaving. You're like, okay, they had fun because we did the cast netting and all that and the kids had a good time and you see people leaving and the camp still had about like 15 or 20 minutes left. Well, about half of the people that stayed, they got to see an eight foot shark. We caught an eight foot shark. So um, they started posting those pictures and then people are reaching out to me like, did you really catch that after we left? I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. It's like with bad tides and bad wind and that's just the way it goes. The intention was to catch small pup sharks, like teach kids about multiple species of sharks in our waters and the basics of, of what I call like tourist fishing. You know, if you were going to just go to a local store and pick up the basics to try to catch something simple. And we put, we, we had a guy kayak out some bigger baits and one of the bigger baits went down and the kids got quite a show. It was a, it was an eight foot lemon shark. Oh, and a lemon's a fighter. Lemons don't mess around. Yeah, it was pretty wild. (laughs) Congrats, man. The great catch. Thanks. So with this, you've been, you're primarily, like you said, a stone's throw away down there in that zone, uh, eventually becoming national once things grow, based on what you were saying there. And I I know I'm looking forward to seeing that because any kid's going to be very fortunate to be able to hang out with you guys to do that. All of this put together, what has been one of the greatest parts of starting and running the foundation? Oh, wow. There, there's a couple that come to mind. I mean, selfishly, um, I'll start internally. Like my son is a baseball football kid. Um, anything with ball, he's got that bond with me. I coach him in sports. Caroline having a daughter, there's, there's nothing. Guys that have daughters know what that bond is. And I just, I got lucky that I have a little girl that likes to spend time with her dad. Um, it'll, it'll break my heart if she ever stops fishing, um, or, or doesn't take a general interest in it. So the fact that I've been able to develop what I think will be a relationship that her and I have when, you know, I'm old and she's taking me fishing would be my personal favorite, but my probably favorite story from the foundation, um, there's two of them. There's a a kid in Wisconsin, his name's Nick. And I was looking at a Wisconsin fishing forum and this mother um, would put Nick on a sled and drag him on the ice to go ice fishing and then put him in one of those shanties, ice shanties, and they'd fish all day. And then she'd put him on the sled and drag him back off the ice. And I just watched all these fascinating um, videos and pictures of Nick fishing. And I just reached out to his mom and asked her, you know, if there's any way that the Kids Can't Fish Foundation could help Nick. And this was, we were within our first like four or five months, like we had hardly raised any money. We didn't have any operational platform. We very much were building the plane while we were trying to fly it. And um, there's a guy here, Spartan Wheel Chariots, um, quadriplegic individual named Ben, and he makes wheelchairs for outdoorsmen and out, uh, outdoors women. And I reach out to Ben. I was like, if we wanted to buy this kid, Nick, um, all-terrain wheelchair that lives in Wisconsin, what's the process to make that happen? And we talked that process. And 
I called Deb back with Nick's mom and I said, would you be interested if we could raise some money and buy Nick this wheelchair? And, you know, she's like, you would do that for us? And I was like, yeah, like we absolutely would. She's like, we don't even know each other. I was like, and who knows if we'll ever meet, but this is what we want to do for you. So we had a, a luncheon at a very nice restaurant on St. Simon's Island called Tremici's. We had about 40 or 50 people show up there, um, had a few silent auction items and um, some raffles and we raised money and Spartan chariots built the chair, sent it up to Wisconsin. And now Nick, um, Nick has a all-terrain wheelchair that we, uh, we helped fundraise for. That was the, the very first thing that we ever did as far as giving something outside of a camp. That one is pretty special to us. Yeah, I can imagine how that one would stick with you forever. That's huge. Wow. Yeah. It changed that kid's life. Yeah. Oh, you, you know, you hope. Uh, you just try to give him, uh, you know, because his mom in the summertime, instead of just fishing off a of docks, now you can go to, you know, Pond's Edge or Stream Banks that, that maybe a, a standard wheelchair can't get to. That's kind of how these those wheelchairs work. So. Maybe one day I'll fish with Nick. He was down south in Florida somewhere. I saw that he caught a snook. He went on a on a family vacation, um, but didn't get a chance to meet up with him. So maybe one day that'd be pretty cool. No, that would be really cool. That I'm sure that would be a lot of fun for you all. And catching a snook down south is never a bad thing, so. right? Not bad at all. <laughs> With the foundation, there has been a lot of probably ups and downs because there's never anything easy when it comes to starting something of this size, magnitude, or any way of looking at, you know, starting a 501c. It's a hard game. What has been some great lessons learned from starting it to where you are now? Yeah, I think just because of how fast things happened for us is if um if you know the vision of of a startup and you're going to create a foundation i would say um pump the brakes before you launch anything because the second you launch and you have people that are interested in whatever you're trying to put out to the public for you're going to get a lot of asks and kind of one of our mantras with kids can't fish is we, we want to under promise and over deliver so if we say we're going to do something with a kid, we're going to follow through on that and we're going to do it very well or to the best of our ability. Things happen so fast for us that I, I always felt that I was behind the eight ball of the asks that were coming in. So, you know, setting up the 501c3, well, that takes paperwork and that takes processing and then you have to wait. We were actively working and putting on camps before we were 501. And that's fine because we had we had money to do that. We were able to raise some funds and do those things. But organizationally, if you can set up shop and your framework and your business plan and gosh, even the website and social media is a whole other beast and have people and players in place that can help you balance and manage as things come in, you won't feel like, like I said before, you're behind that eight ball all the time. Um, because when you have a 501c3 or charity of any kind that's successful, it's, it's daily calls and daily emails of people that want to connect and work with you. So we didn't know we were going this route. So looking back, um, if I knew that a charity was going to be created from something that Caroline, you know, started, I, I, I probably would have just slowed the roll a little bit and not opened up those Facebook groups um, because social media is pretty powerful. And as soon as you're out there, um, the requests come in every single day. Yeah. 
that <laughs> a sad truth. I mean, a good truth at some point, but it's also probably it's a double-edged sword. It's got to be. It, it can be, and <laughs> and you know, I guess because of our platform, like we're we're trying to help kids, and obviously we're trying to work with. Um, kids that, that want to have the means otherwise to do some of the things that we do. And certainly we're interested in working with kids that have um, disabilities. A lot of things come in and you have to, it always, you, you don't want to tell somebody no. Um, but if you tell them no, it's got to be for the right reason. Like when, when the guy from Pennsylvania wanted us to come and do a camp, um, it wasn't that we didn't want to. It's just we can't travel to Pennsylvania because we're trying to figure this out in the South before we, we network out of our comfort zone. Um, but keep my number and keep in contact. And um, I got tied. I'm originally from Ohio. I know PA well, and who knows, maybe we'll take a camp. Um, and then you get people that call and just like we call people, we look for donations. We look for supporters. So there's people that reach out to us um, that want the same support in return. So, um, you know, there were some kids in Texas, um, their father last year, Christmas time was significantly injured in a car crash and Christmas was going to be tough for their family. This guy happened to be a police officer and it was widely publicized. This officer was um, significantly injured. So when this group reached out to us, we feel validated it through news and reading articles. And we're like, we're going to send these kids some uh, Bass Pro gift cards and some stuff so they can have that under the tree. And you know, that's another thing that it's not camp related, but we took money that we raised, bought gift cards and sent some things out there. We do, we do things like that periodically too, that don't require wedding aligned. But, you know, like I said, cause we're, we're guilty of it too. We, we make calls, you know, monthly asking companies to get involved with us. And those companies have to vet and verify who we are too. Um, so we try to help out as many people as we can, but at some point in time, like we have, a fiscal plan we have to follow and we have objectives and things that we have calendar that we need to follow and you can only do so much with the resources you have so we we have to make sure that we're making good decisions so that the platform continues to grow and continues to move forward yeah it's not all sunshine and rainbows it, it, as much as we wish it was it's never never that easy and and you know what i'll say because we're we're very social media heavy is it's been an absolute pleasure dealing with people on social media. Um, obviously you get people that like want to join, um, that get declined immediately because you can tell they're fake accounts. Like we, we look at every profile and we look at who's trying to come in. Obviously a lot of ours is invite. So if a friend of ours, or let's say you were going to invite some people to the group, I was like, all right, Brian invited some people to the group tonight. Those people are likely good, but I give them a quick glance. Right. Um, so a lot of our group is word of mouth or people that came to our camps. Our social media pages have never had any nastiness. There hasn't been anything inappropriate for kids. I will decline posts um, that aren't related to kids specifically. So like tonight, a guy wanted to post uh, a YouTube video of um, basically it was, it was catfishing on a budget. So I, I watched like the first three or four minutes of this YouTube video and realized quickly that this is just a random guy fishing for catfish and there's not a kid in sight or he's not teaching a kid how to fish on a budget. So that gets declined. It has yeah. to have a nexus to kids and it not just fishing because obviously fishing can have a nexus to kids real easily. But what we do, there has to be a direct nexus to, to, to kids. So I kind of went off on a tangent there. You're going to have to redirect me with another question. <laughs> 
No problem on getting you redirected. We're going to redirect this way. It is bay check time. Yeah, your first bay check today has been brought to you by Ninja Tackle. Head on over to ninjatackleva.com and take a look at all the product is the greatest word to say it inside Ninja Tackle's website. It's not only Ninja Tackle anymore, it is also Ninja Tactical. If you're looking for anything for your firearms, they have that as well. It's rods, reels, rigs, uh, sights, optics, a whole bunch of other things. Head on over to NinjaTackleVA.com and take a look and get your order in today. So we can redirect the easy way here. <laughs> now that we're back on track, how can people support or help and support the foundation? Oh, so that's, that's really easy. Um, obviously, cash donations are great for us because cash allows us to buy the tackle and the gear and the things we need to put on a camp. Also, if it's, if it's a, we've, we've taken donations of used product. There was a lady like three months ago that said, my dad's moving, emptied out some things from his house. And I have some really nice um, fishing reels and some brand new tackle boxes that have never been used. Would you like to have them? And she sent me a picture. I was like, absolutely. So we've taken even used good donations. The first big donation we ever had was a huge assortment of used tackle. Um, and we made great use of a lot of it. I don't know if I would go that big again because it was, it was a lot. Um, but we actually got a lot of that stuff in the hands of kids. So, so cash or new product because a lot of times if we like big bite baits is a perfect example. They sent us an assortment of soft plastics. So at one of our camps, every kid leaves with a grab bag, like a, a bag full of goodies um, related to fishing. And we would put those bags of soft plastics and Panther Martin uh, inline spinners and hats from Calcutta and, you know, stickers from every fishing company known to man in those bags. So minimally at most of our camps, kids are coming home with a fishing rod and reel that they just used and a bag full of goodies. So, you know, obviously camps cost money to run. And then we want to make sure that um, every kid leaves with a bag full of, of things to go home and keep that the fishing fuel, you know, the fire to keep thinking about the next trip they're going to have going. So that that's important to us. And there's a lot of different ways. Um, if, if a donation isn't something you can do, not everybody can make a, a, a charitable contribution through cash or a donation of a product. Just supporting the Instagram and Facebook pay, page is pretty important. Because as you know, the more people that find out about who you are, you never know who the next person that's going to send you a, a message privately and say, hey, I'm involved with X and X company and we want to we wanna help you. So support on the Facebook group is good. Joining the group and inviting your family and friends. Um, liking our page. Our page, the Kids Can Fish Foundation page, is our admin page. It's where we can post only. Um, so a lot of times we do posting separate of the group that kind of track what we're doing as an organization. Um, so there's a lot of ways. And, and honestly, if, if social media is not your thing and you can't make a donation, come to one of our camps. Um, come to one of our camps and just tell somebody locally um, or somebody that's into the outdoors and wildlife, tell them that you went to one of our fishing camps. And um, hopefully something good that you can say about what we do is, is a huge help to us. 
There you go. So when it comes to cash donations, where do you recommend people go to do that? Through the website or is there another way? What, what do you recommend? Yeah, the web the website is easiest because a lot of times, you know, like a, a $25 donation or a $10 donation will come in and those are easy uh, via PayPal. It's right on the website, on the main page. The website is uh, kidscanfish.net. And if somebody has the ability to donate at a larger level, um, usually you're looking at uh, using the, the tax deductible purposes of a larger donation. So a lot of times if, if somebody comes up and says, you know, we want to make a larger level cash donation, then we do some paperwork, we send some letters and some documentation to prove that, you know, we are a federally state approved e, uh, 501c3, and then work the processes for those larger level donations. So if people are trying to do something a larger level, um, an email to me um, is probably the best way to get it started. Uh, my email is pretty simple. It's thomas at kidscanfish.net, and we can go from there. But yeah, on the webpage, we've had people donate, you know, 10 bucks, and that's great because honestly, um, at one of our baseline camps, one of our, our cheapest camps that we can run, a fishing rod and reel combo um, runs us about 10 to 12 bucks. So a $10 donation basically bought one kid a rod and reel, um, and they get to take that home. So that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Great stuff, man. Well, now we're going to do a little bit of a transition. Now I'm going to start stealing your knowledge. <laughs> All right. So, so tell us your story about what got you into fishing. Oh, well, this is this is easy. My my dad, um, my mom and my dad raised us to be um, outdoor people. I have three older brothers. Growing up, um, it wasn't about where we went. It was that we went somewhere um, camping. And with camping came fishing. And with the boat, the small boat that my parents uh, owned came fishing. So I, I still remember to this day when my dad brought the Snoopy fishing rod in the back door, my mom, and my dad were having a conversation and I heard him say, well, I got, I got Tom a fishing rod and I sprung out of my bed <laughs> and I come out into the family room and there it is. It's not wrapped or anything. And it's, it's a yellow Snoopy fishing pole. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, and I wore that thing out. <laughs> So yeah, it's, it, it's really that it's, it's a legacy thing. My, my dad's dad took him fishing and I'm taking my kids fishing and um, we did it as a family. I mean, I remember being on boats and my mom's sitting there fishing with us. So passing that on to, to our kids and that's, those are my earliest memories and started young, um, real young. That's, yeah. It seems like the majority of every answer has been a dad took me and it just locked in forever from there. Yep. What is your favorite thing about fishing? My favorite thing about fishing would be the thought of like, you don't know what's on the end of your line. Like oh, that's yeah. too easy. That's a good one um, though. It's good. You know, especially we fish deep water a lot too. So like I, you know, I have a boat that can go offshore. That's different than, than the surf stuff. But yeah, you know, for me, because it's a way for me just to disconnect. We fished, I fished with this kid, Luke on the, uh, like, we call it the kids can't fish boat. My boat's got a kids can't fish wrap with our logos and our sponsors on it. And I met Luke at our shark camp and he didn't catch any sharks and he was from Texas. And I happened to end up knowing somebody that knows his grandparents. So I reached out to this person and I was like, do you know, do you know how to get a hold of that Luke kid's grandparents? Cause he was visiting his grandparents for two weeks um, from Texas. And he's like, yeah, it's like, Ask them if he'd like to go fishing on, on my boat with me. 
And he's like, all right, I'll make some calls. And they're like, absolutely. He would love that. It would be the highlight of his trip. So we go out on a Sunday afternoon and we're catching some sharks and we're having fun. And the first shark that he catches, which is the first shark he's ever caught, the first time he's ever been on a boat, he's just on top of the world. And I asked him, I was like, how did how'd that make you feel? And he's like, I, I just felt I felt so powerful. I felt like I, I could do anything. He's like, I felt like I could catch a thousand sharks. And I go, you want to know what? That's how I feel when I catch a fish and I'm in my 40s. <laughs> I was like, I don't think about anything. I was like, other than being there in that moment and enjoying that experience. And um, I honestly, that that's my favorite thing about fishing is when, when I'm with my kids or with, I'm with friends on a fishing trip, in those hours or however long that trip is, I honestly can say that my, my focus is on the sport at the time. And um, even when bad things are happening or you have family, family situations or friends or, you know, that you're trying to help and things are going on in the world around us, it, it allows me to kind of, you know, drown them out for a little bit. It's, uh, it's a wonderful feeling. Yeah, quieting the noise is quite glorious. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Brought me to a happy place there. Well, if we're going to stay on that level, fine. We're going to stay in the favorite category, and then we'll move on to the knowledge. What has been one of your favorite fishing memories? Oh, this one, this one's easy. Caroline uh, and I were going through these questions. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't have sent them, so, damn it. <laughs> but this is so easy. Um, this is so easy for me. When I moved, I moved from St. Louis, Missouri to Georgia um, a little over eight years ago. And I had always fished the Everglades. Every year I would do an Everglades trip. So saltwater, I had a pretty decent knowledge base, but I never had surf fishing knowledge base. So my parents come to visit me. My mom and dad have a flight on like a Monday or Tuesday morning. And my dad's like, we should go fish the surf a little bit because we, he, we, I didn't have a boat at the time and we didn't fish when he was here. It's like, well, these bull reds are running. I've never done it, but it's got to be pretty easy to do. Let me go get a surf rod and a couple stakes. So I get him a rod. I get me a rod, basic equipment, PVC pipe, you know, scheduled 30 that I, you know, hammered with a looking back was actually a metal mallet because I know I was the schedule 30 was like busted up. I had no business on the surf. I had no idea what I was doing. And we're sitting there and my dad's rod gets throttled and he picks it up. And like, I'm just like pumping him up. I'm like, yeah, get it, dad. I'm like, let's get this thing. And then my rod starts screaming. So we're shoulder to shoulder doubled up with 40 inch plus redfish. And we're just, we're having the time of our life talking and just laughing. And obviously a group of people come over and they're like, you guys really know what you're doing. And I'm kind of like, not really. We just <laughs> just started doing this. Um, it, it, either we got really lucky today or, you know, um, everything just worked out. But yeah, doubling up on the bull reds with my dad um, is a good one. And God, we've had some great Everglades trips. I mean, tarpon and hammerheads and snook, but I don't know that bull that bull red double up with him um, several several years ago is I think yeah, I think that's my favorite one. Oh man, and they were over forty inches, of course, because they're bull reds. Right. Oh, and what bait were you? Did you say stakes or what? what I no, think you meant no, sand so spikes. Sand spikes, yeah. Okay, um, I didn't know. If I, we, I didn't know if we were talking like you threw out like a chunk of sirloin i mean i need to start doing <laughs> no. that man wow <laughs> i'm using the wrong bait 
I actually, that's probably the northern. I, mean, I think I did call them steaks instead of sand spikes. That's like, it's all good. I'm glad I asked, though, because I, I literally was going to go down to Winn-Dixie. Um, <laughs> go pick up that when I go pick up my Krabbies. Oh, boy. Well, let's transition into the stealing of the knowledge time. What type of fishing right. do you like to do? So I'm fortunate here that um, I got good surf here. Um, and then obviously I got really, really good inshore water, skinny water creeks. And then obviously, um, my boat can get offshore. So I have a couple of buddies, um, Brandon, who helps us run kids can fish. He's got a huge, uh, red fisher. So when we're not going to deeper water, um, we can get skinny in the creeks in his boat. Um, I like surf fishing periods, uh, several months out of the year. And I've become good friends with some of the land-based shark guys here on St. Simon's. So um, I can really hit a little bit of everything and then right out my back door. I mean, my son Bram caught a seven-pound, three-ounce bass in the pond behind us. So I can pond hop freshwater ponds all over. So I get a little bit of everything. I'm pretty spoiled. Um, but this time of the year, um, especially because the winds and the rain, I mean, I heard you saying in your intro, but the rain has been just crazy and the wind has been awful. Um, we're going to be transitioning to the surf here for most of September and uh, a lot of October. Um, so I, I do a lot of my surf fishing in the fall. Yep, I get that. Yeah, it's been the worst rain. See, you know, the hurricane season time, and this is you know September, August, end of August, early September. This is the time where we really start seeing the weather get funky for us down here in the south, and <laughs> it's just you're just waiting for that rain to come in and crush you all the time. So. Well, what was crazy is last weekend, um, a buddy of mine wanted to take his son offshore. His son had never been offshore before. And I'm looking at all the guides and I'm looking at all the maps and the weather and the wind and the NOAA report. And I'm like, um, hey, this thing's going to be um, two foot south, southwest at an eight second interval. I'm like, Sunday's our day. He's like, all right, let's do it. Everything stays consistent. Noah, predict wind, windy, all of that. Everything's good. Launch the boat, get out. Everyone's excited. We were there at 6 a.m. I get out in the channel, St. Simon Sound, and the waves are just pushing up against each other. And I had to turn it. I had to kill it. I was like, we, we can't do this. It's not going to be any fun out there. Turn it around. Then fast forward a week from there. So this is last Sunday. I call him up again. I was like, I'm like hey, Sunday's looking really good. I was like, it says sees around two feet you don't see around two feet that often and he's like well what's the the dominant period i said tell me eight i was like it looks very similar to what they told us it was going to be the weekend before he goes well yeah we didn't get out i'm like but they missed i'm like they missed big time last week i was like this is this is this is a go so we went out last sunday and it was some of the most glorious seas i've ever seen and we were 25 miles offshore um, but you're right. This, this time of year is so unpredictable that I usually, um, I usually leave the offshore game alone and focus on the, on the surf and the inshore stuff. Man, I see the number for me. It's always, Oh, it's a 40% chance. I'm like, yep, that means it's going to happen. Oh, it's mm -hmm. 80%. Nope. I'm not worried. It ain't going to happen. It's going to pass us. We'll be fine. <laughs> We're our own weather station some days. I swear. Those guys, they, they got great professions, you know? Yeah. Easy. You know, I, if I was that wrong all the time at work, I don't know if I'd have a job, but I don't get it. Um, and you do your studying and your research and, um, it, it can happen on the surf too. I mean, I'm, yeah. you've been there, you, 
you pack everything up and you know the surf conditions look good and then something get bl gets blown in and you're like your baits are running sideways and sputniks aren't sticking and you're like what, what am i doing out here I mean, oh man it can happen it can happen from the surf too so oh yeah i mean it's it's those are the worst days too you got that north wind you know it's at your back for us here you're casting out and you're like this is the greatest day hanging out and all of a sudden you look and you see something coming to your right like wait what what's that coming from the west why is that coming from the west Water turns chocolate milk. Waves just went up yep. to three. You know, like, oh, all right, that was a waste of my day. Yeah, that that hurts the heart and soul. Uh, well, speaking of the weather, this works perfectly into our next part here. When it comes to well, and hell, any of your fishing, really, how do you plan your fishing trips? I offshore will really target species because I don't keep a lot of fish offshore. We don't even have to go into the red snapper stuff. Our red snapper season was two days this year, and both days there were four to five footers out there. So that I, I took the Friday off of work to go snapper fishing. The kids were all going with me. I had two friends that were going to go with me. So, like, I know I target those fish because it's a two-day season. So that was a wash this year. Um, but then I'll watch the cobia. Um, when the cobia are running with the rays in Canaveral, I'll go down to Canaveral. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll cruise the beaches and, you know, throw, throw jigs, um, you know, bucktail jigs over the manta rays. If you've never done that before, I mean, you were literally hugging the beach and these huge manta rays are just cruising around and they're littered with cobia. It's, it's incredible. Some of the most fun fishing ever. So then, you know, that's early spring and then we transition back, um, to our fishery here. Um, the sheep's head fishing here is really good. So me and the kids will go and we'll dig fiddler crabs and we'll just go hit pilings and uh, rock piles and we'll fish, we'll fish for sheep's head. Um, the sheep's head will then turn off and the trout and inshore redfish bite gets really good. When the water starts cooking again and temperatures are coming up, you kind of get a little we have year-round good trout and reds here, but once the water temps start coming up, then we start getting the sharks and we start getting some of the good surf stuff. So we'll transition um, off to the beach when when a lot of the inshore stuff is starting to slow down. Oh, and I don't even go into the triple tail. Um, I still haven't caught one of those. That's one on my list that I've seen float past me and then uh, I'll miss one. We hooked up with like a 25 or 30-pound triple tail last year my neighbor's kid was on the boat and had it right at the boat on his birthday and i'm razzing him i'm like don't lose this fish it's your birthday fish that's a bonus fish don't lose it <laughs> and it spit the hook and i'm like shut your mouth i'm like what are you doing you just jinxed it i'm like i'm giving the kid you know i'm ribbing him on his birthday saying don't lose your birthday fish and then you know he the 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 hook shakes loose so you know the triple tail we're in right now so i we're blessed we have a really good fishery here we we chase around a lot of different species and do do a lot of different styles of fishing. Okay. When you're at the beach, so I'm gonna I'm gonna steer you here into the surf on you. So when you're planning yep. on going out into the surf, how do you select your spot? So we have we have a good sound with deep water and good current. So I'll fish I'll fish that area first because I know it's a high producer and and I know with our big tides the fish are moving in and out. So um, I have access to this deeper water. I hardly have to wait out and I, I can get the bat, uh, the baits past the break and we got good deep water. So that's, that's pretty easy for me. 
but sometimes it's just accessibility. Like, like for example, where me and my dad doubled up with each other, that's on the Coast Guard beach and it's right off what we call the blue carpet. There's carpeting that runs out into the sand. So it's nice and easy to traverse. And my dad was like, well, with my, I want to walk far. It's like, well, we really shouldn't fish right there because it doesn't make sense to fish right there. I've caught more fish off the blue carpet than in some of the other spots on the beach. So now what I'll do is, especially with the redfish, is our surf changes quite a bit. And I'll just go out and I'll read the surf and I'll just be looking. Um, last year, there was this really long sandbar that kind of made a half moon style shape um, out in front of what's called Madison Gale Beach. And basically, it cut off the, the low tide kind of highway. There was a big break there at one point in time. So the fish would come in between that break and the sandbar that was way beyond my reach of casting distance. That spot was great. But then last year, it filled in with sand to where you could walk out. If, if you really trusted yourself, you could walk all the way from the beach out on the sandbar and out to the deeper bar, which is, it had to be several hundred yards off the beach. So all this sand got pushed in that wasn't there the year before. So I'll read the surf and look for the change in the break. I'll look for new sandbars. Google Earth here is unpredictable because... Our, our water is quite murky um, with the marsh right there. So, you know, I, I know where I got deep water access um, and good moving water. But when I'm fishing the beach here, our, our tides are so high and so fast. Um, I'm just looking for new sand. I'm looking for the new presentation of waves, just the what I've committed in memory. And I'll actually go back and look at old pictures of, of surf of the couple spots that I fish on St. Simon's and look for different different break in the surf and different features. That's smart looking right there. That's way to go, especially with the history book right there for pictures. Pictures say a thousand words. Moving into the pictures, we, uh, we're perfect time to talk about this one next. It is your second bait check. Hopefully you've caught a bunch of fish by now by after listening to this podcast and you're out there and just you found the right bait, you found the right zone. You know, speaking of that, let's talk about bait. This bait check has been brought to you by Fish Bites. Head on over to fishbites.com and take a look at all the different styles of the bait they have. Fresh and saltwater, they got you covered. You want catfish? They got you covered. You want to throw a paddle tail? Hey, what do you know? They actually have that completely infused with scent. Take a look at fishbites.com. Get yourself a good order for all your bait needs. Get out there and fish and catch those limits. How do you set your gear up when you're at your spot? And by that, what I mean is you're, how, you know, you're firing out a couple of rods. Where are you putting them? What kind of rigs are you thinking about using? Or what kind of sinkers do you use? Yeah, so I'm, I'm evolving there. Um, early on, like I said, that, that trip with my dad, I carried two chairs over my shoulder. I had two rods bundled in my left hand and a bait cooler in my right. And it was uh, your typical tourist walk to the beach. Um, once I caught the fever after those bull reds, obviously you get a fishing mate cart and you think you're getting good stuff. And um, my surf equipment has went from novice to, um, I, I would say, you know, intermediate to high as far as the, the rods and reels that I have. Um, and I'm going to some of the reels here later because I think our fishery is quite different than, than some people there in Florida. Um, so my evolution is growing. Um, the the, be the beach cart is actually in 
for remodeling. Um, Brian Curlett at Surfishing Solutions is going to make some upgrades to my cart because it just got beat up. So I'm looking forward to that. That's my personal cart. Um, and then uh, our surf hippie fishing, uh, deer, Deerfield Welding and Fabrication is actually making a, a very nice donation to the Kids Can't Fish Foundation uh, for our surf camps. Because now when I go out to a surf clinic, I have last, the last clinic, I think I took 10 rods out. I need more than one cart and I need to be able to carry a lot of things. So my equipment has really went from beginner entry level Shakespeare Tidewater to Caroline, who probably has the nicest setup in, um, in our fleet of surf rods, which is a team rain shadow uh, custom build for her, an 11 foot surf rod with 8,000 uh, Florida Fishing Products uh, uh, spray reel on it. So we have a little bit of everything and believe it or not, like, I've caught some really great fish on a Shakespeare 10 foot tidewater pole. And I love that thing. Um, sometimes when Carolyn and, and my son are standing next to a sand spike with the nice rods and reels, I'm posted up next to the tidewater because I want to see if anything's ever going to break this thing. <laughs> um, and not that I want it to break because we use it with the kids at our camps and stuff, but there's a little bit of everything thing that, um, I've not gotten into yet and it's, it's next on the list is the heaver rigs, um, you know, conventionals from the surf to where you're ankle deep instead of knee or waist deep getting wet and, you know, learning the finesse of throwing a bait that's loaded up with a heavy Sputnik and maybe an ounce, ounce and a half piece of mullet or whatever you got and slinging that thing and watching that bait soar through the air. I, I just get fascinated watching those guys do that. And I can bait cast and I know conventional reels, I, so I'm sure I could pick it up quickly. But what I need to do is I need to get with Chip or I need to get with Brett Burford or uh, any of those Florida guys that know what they're doing, Para or somebody, and get one in my hand. And I guarantee you if I, I cast one once or twice with some distance, um, that's going to be the next one on the list, I'm sure. But, again, the heavers where I'm at – I really don't have to heave that far. Um, the break's not too far for me for most tides. Um, that would be, those would be Florida rods. I would, I would change tactics when, when we go fish Florida, but I'm interested in it. I really am. I just haven't, uh, I haven't had the time to dabble, dabble for myself. Cause um, I don't think obviously with, cause you're talking, you know, 12, 13 foot rods, like those over to bar rods. I see a lot of people using, um, our guys are using like 13 foot rods with those those heaver rigs, correct? Um, normally with the over the bars, I'm seeing the high low, so the pompano rigs. But I do, I think that uh, you can throw a heaver uh, with a conventional on those. Mm -hmm. I'm just fascinated by it. Um, it. It's I guarantee once somebody that I know in Florida can give me some a little instruction, that's probably next in the arsenal. Um, but for for here, um. My buddies that fish land bay shark, um, shark in here, they have some really heavy end rods. Um, they'll drone baits out periodically. They'll kayak baits out. So um, I'm pretty lucky to have good friends that have – these guys aren't interested in catching three-foot sharks. They want nothing less than seven or eight feet. You know, they're looking for big tigers, greater hammerheads, things like that. Um, the stuff that we're doing really is more family-centric. Um you know, I, I call it a tourist rig because that's the first rigs I bought came from local bait shop where you buy a pre-made rig and you catch a fish or two and the crimps or something like that. 
um, to where, you know, now I just tie my own, my own rigs and um, make my own, my own baits for, for the surf. A lot of times fishing for smaller sharks, obviously redfish. Um, we get jacks off the beach, bluefish. Um, and as me and you were talking before the podcast, for whatever reason, the, uh, the Pompano just kind of skip our area. St. Simons and Jekyll kind of, those jokers just swim right past us. And guys that I know that have lived here for years are like always been that way. And um, I haven't heard a really good explanation why, but I don't really, uh, it's a luxury of fishing Pompano here. So I don't, um, I don't really target them here when they're making the run. But we'll um, we'll go out on the we'll, we'll fish with fish bites too. I mean, you just um, mentioned fish bites. We we use a lot of fish bites. Um, my personal favorite fish bites bait right now is um, you know their butt kickers are really good. And last weekend, um, actually I was using a five grub uh, fish bite offshore on a big heavy like I think I was using four ounce jig. Um, I caught a barracuda on a, on a fish bites last weekend. It was pretty wild. So. Um, we use a lot of fish bites on the surf, and obviously when I'm fishing skate um in the creeks, um, using those paddle tails and the curly tails, um, butt kickers are great stuff. Yeah, the Fight Club series is great. And it, it, I loved, after I did the episode with them, talking about how the you know, scent is so infused throughout the entire bait. And, yeah, you throw in it, as long as it's got something on there, the smell is there, they're coming after it. That paddle tail just makes it a little bit more on the, I want that, I need that, let's get ahead and go ahead and eat that, thank you. So, yeah, good stuff right there. Well, you brought up, a, you already answered the next question about lures and bait, so, hey, way to go, you're ahead of the game. <laughs> um, you brought into another good part there, too, when you started talking about fishing in a new place, you started talking about tactics. What do you do when you go fishing in a new place? I, I think because we're so into social media, I mean, I'm, I'm on social media quite a bit, like watching our own pages that I'm a, I'm a member of a lot of different groups. So I would say if you're going to a new area, find fishing page that's close to, to that part of town that you're going to. And you, you know how it is on some forums, like people don't give up, you know, their tips and tricks, but it's not too hard sometimes to find out like, they're on a bridge or they're on a specific pier or um, the buildings behind them. Like a lot of times people are putting things on social media that if you just pay attention to what you're looking at and the picture is not blurred out, you can find out pretty easily where, where the fish are, you know, Spencer Brogdon, he's a guy that'll, that'll tell you, this is what I'm fishing with. This is the tide conditions and this is the surf. And he was helping us at one of the camps and he was telling us about, why he's so free with his information and one he's like i want people to get into fishing he's like i want people to catch fish he's like but here's the thing you can buy a rod and you can have the baits and you can have the rig if you don't know what to do them you can be standing right next to me on the surf and i'm going to catch 10 fish for every two that you catch um so he's not worried about everybody coming to his spots and he's he's an educator he likes to people and share information there's a lot of people in the fishing community that'll share um, information with you so I would say the first thing I do is um, I look at social media sites and see what people are catching Um, because if they're catching pompano in South Carolina the pompano are probably going to be biting the same thing that they bite in Florida so I know that all my pompano rigs and my Sputnik weights and the surf rods that I have for Pompano are going to work. Conversely, when I went to Louisiana last year, I ended up catching 
a 30 plus pound black drum on a pink butt kicker and I'm using 2,500 pound or 2,500 series reel and basically a medium action rod. And I'm like defenseless against this black drum. Now I got it in, but I had zero intentions of catching a black drum and I hadn't seen anybody posting pictures. So that was kind of one of those, you know, that was happenstance. I wasn't planning on that, um, but it worked out. So I would just see what the season is, what people are catching, whatever local reports are coming out. Um, if there's, you know, there's some pretty good magazines and pretty good local newspapers that have actually some decent fishing reports. And then honestly, your bait shops, I've had some marinas and some bait shops that they're there to sell you bait and tackle. They want you to catch fish. A lot of times you can go to a marina and a bait shop and you're going to get pretty reliable information. They might not tell you where their best friend is fishing, but I bet you they're going to put you in areas where you go out there and something might hit your line because if it hits your line and it works, you're likely to go back in there and probably buy some more product from them because you had a good experience. Yep. Yeah. The, the tackle shops are the tackle and the bait shops are always a guarantee of, I, mean, I shouldn't say guarantee, 95% chance you're going to get good intel and a really good spot of right. look in this area. They're going to help you. You know, the, the one thing that the people I hear people get um, upset about sometimes is like, well, why won't you share that spot with me? And they're like, because that's my spot. I don't give that spot to anybody. I'm totally cool with that. Like if somebody, if I'm like, Hey, we're like, I want to catch a triple tail so bad. Um, it's going to happen. It's probably going to happen when I'm just, fishing a, a cork and a shrimp or you know what will happen it'll, it'll happen with fish bites when i'm whiting fishing or something exactly um <laughs> it's always when you're targeting like, whiting it always exactly <laughs> right so if somebody if somebody came up to me and was like you know i'm like where do you catch all your whiting i got i know guys that have tons of whiting that they catch or excuse me uh triple tail and if they're like i don't give anybody my triple tail spots i'd be like i get it i totally do um, but why don't you give me like your number five, six, seven, eight, or 10th favorite spot um, for whatever species. So when people, sometimes people just aren't going to give up um, the information that they have, or maybe found um, some structure somewhere that people don't know about. And they don't tell you exactly where to, I get that. But personally, I'm taking lots of people fishing with me. So it's no secret. Like if we're on the beach, you catch fish in this spot, or especially I take a lot of people offshore like, sure, if you look at the GPS and the coordinates are there, but nobody's doing that. Um, I don't worry about that kind of stuff. I just, I like to go out and have a good time. And when I'm fishing with people um, and they come up, I tell them exactly what I'm fishing with. I, a lot of times, actually, Brian, I'm, I'm passing my rod off. Like last year I was fishing on the surf. I took off a lot of days just to go have, like drop the kids off at school and go spend like four or five hours on the surf by myself. And I hook up to this, this awesome bull redfish. I'm having this great fight. And there's a group of ladies. They got to be like in their 70s walking past me. And they stop. And this one lady's like, oh, that's so cool. I've never seen anything like that. It's like, you want to catch this fish? She's like, what? I hand her the rod and she fights the bull redfish. Her girlfriends are taking photos of her. They're taking videos of her. We get it in the shore. She picks the thing up. She's all slimy and holding the thing. And like, they walked away and like those ladies like, I can't believe you let her catch your fish. It's like, I got more enjoyment out of watching you catch that fish than me catching it. So, yep. Um, 
that's that's kind of the stuff that I do. If someone walks up to me on the surf, I will bring a rig in. I'll show them exactly what I'm fishing with. I've given rigs to people. Here, take this. Here's a weight. Here's some fish bites. Here's here's the hooks I use. And um, now that you know, now that I have a foundation uh, that we or- organize and run, like of course there's going to be a kids can't fish like card or something that goes with that to say, hey, right, of course, this, this is. This is where this knowledge base goes. Um, but before that, like I, a lot of times when I'm fishing um, in a public space, I'm, I'm handing the fishing rod off to somebody. Um, it happened in Kiowa Island in June. Uh, I'm fishing and I'm just sit shark after shark after shark. And this guy and his kid, I see him. They're watching me. They're watching me. I'm like, all right, the next one that goes down, I'm like, that kid's reeling this thing in. And I give this kid the rod and the dad's like, you just did that. He's like, you've been busting your tail all day in the surf. I was like, trust me. I was like, I'm enjoying watching him catch this more than me. And then they're standing there, standing there and talking to me. And then another rod goes off and I give the dad a rod. I go, it's your turn. He goes, what? He goes, I understand my son. I'm like, read the thing in. I was like, you got a fish to catch. And the dad was like, I can't believe you just did that. And I was like, it's not about, always the catch for me i go i do get a lot of enjoyment out of seeing other people get excited about the things i get excited about when it comes to, to the fishery so in a roundabout way there's a lot of good ways to get information but usually uh, if you catch me live in a spot I'm, I'm usually an open book yeah good stuff when you're out there and the bite is just not on fire how do you adjust your tactics to go catch Oh, so for me, the struggle is fresh bait. If, if I have to use frozen bait here, sometimes it can be a real challenge. So I'll hit the surf with a cast net, but just like anything else, the, you know, you, if the bait's not there and I'm fishing frozen bait and I know it's going to be sail cat after sail cat, um, sometimes I pack it in. I think you just, you get, to, you get to read the search and understand what's going on for the day. So I don't have good fresh bait. That's, that's always kind of my first step. Like, am I going out tomorrow? Cause I'll usually scout for bait, you know, in advance too. Fortunately, fresh bait's pretty easy to come around uh, here. So for me, a slow bite, because I usually have a lot of different types of fishing I can do in a short period of time. Um, I'm all day waiting for that one or two knockdowns. Um, I'm probably going to cut my time short and say I had six hours today, but I'm going to, I'm going to settle for three. And, but then you know how it goes, like you're starting to clean things up. And then when you've set your time limit, you catch one and you're like, all right, it's going to turn. The tide's going to turn. The bite's going to get good. And then next thing you know, you're out there for six hours. But like we opened up the interview with, there's been plenty of days on the surf where nothing of quality hit and I was out there for six or eight hours and come home and my wife Marissa is like what'd you catch and I'll be like a whole lot of nothing or nothing good she's like you were out there that long you didn't catch anything good I was like yeah and I talked to some great people and um you know listen to some music and hanging and you know to me yeah catching is catching but a lot of times the time gets away. Um, for me, the big one, because our tides can get so wicked here, is if the lines are running left and right, that's usually a pretty easy uh, decision for me to pack up. But as long as I got good bait 
and you know the frozen stuff periodically works pretty good if i have good fresh live bait i'm usually going to do pretty good the bite the bite's pretty consistent yep yeah can't go can't go wrong with live bait well when your area what is your favorite fish to target well my favorite fish easily is the bull redfish i just there's something about your feet in the sand and a bait, you know, a hundred yards out or a good distance out and you standing there and catching a bull red off the surf. I love it. It probably ties back to that, that memory with my dad. I love end of September, October fishing here where we're at. It, I look forward to it all year long. So I would say bull reds easily my favorite to catch. But then if we're leaving the surf, skinny water fishing is something else. I mean, sight casting a redfish and they're so spooky and you really got to be stealthy and they, they can at times hear a lot more than you think. They're pretty fun to catch in the shallow water. But this is the year, this is the time of year that I get excited for. Um, the, the bull redfishing here is about to go bananas. Well, it's a good thing you bring that up because you kind of have something big coming up here very soon. You guys have a tournament that is specifically aimed at said name fish. So let's talk about the tournament. Yeah. So when we realized the foundation um, needed some financial support to make it happen, um, we were doing a lot of small uh, fundraisers. You know, we'd make 400 here or we get a hundred dollar donation there the most expensive camp we've ran cost us right around $1,700. That was on the higher side, but we bought some nicer quality gear, surf rods. And actually we opened our season this year with fish bites um, um, and DS custom tackle and chip um, from the sinker guy and kind of had a big kickoff to the season. It was a really nice camp. All those things cost money. And after our first year at the end of the year, we kind of our fiscal year, at the end of October, we kind of do a reset and say, okay, this is what we have to spend. This is how much we need to make. And this is how many camps we think we can do in the next year. And uh, me and Brandon were talking about ways that we can fundraise because you're doing it year round. It's always happening. We're like, well, why don't we do a bull redfish tournament? Um, we have an amazing fishery here right in our backyard. And it's, we call October our end of season. Um, that's where we kind of, we're, we're kind of done with camps and we re-spool up, you know, after the holidays. So we kind of winged it last year. We are like, let's, uh, let's run a redfish uh, surf fishing tournament. And we call it the running of the bulls, um, the St. Simons Island running of the bulls. And we ended up having in our first tournament last year, we had 111 people fish uh, with 40 kids. And it was amazing. The people that donated high-end prizes and some cash donations and we sold tournament shirts and we had a tournament towel and it was an amazing tournament and we're like well, we got to do that again and we started planning for this year's tournament it was two or three weeks after last year's tournament um, and we've been planning throughout the whole year as a matter of fact our 2023 tournament sponsorship form is already done because we've established Columbus Day weekend every year is when we're going to do the tournament. So um, there's some competing tournaments um, and we, we want to establish that, you know, you don't have to worry about the St. Simons tournament. We're doing it every year, Columbus Day weekend. So 
October 8th and 9th. Um, it's going to be a great time. We do a, um, a kickoff party, kind of the equivalent to like a captain's meeting. Got a lot of good um, raffle items and some good freebies. And we're going to do that at a place called Port City Park in downtown Brunswick. Uh, there's going to be food trucks, beverages, some music. It's going to be a really good time. Then obviously all day Saturday um, from 8 to 4.30 and Sunday the same um, are the tournament days. And then we do our awards uh, banquet on Sunday evening from 6 to 10. That's going to be at uh, Benny's Red Barn on St. Simons Island on the north side of the island. We've already met last year's numbers. This time last year, um, I remember us kind of being in panic mode because we had all these amazing donations and we only had like 30 people registered to fish the tournament. But come September, every day I'd log in and be like, oh, there were three more. Wow, we had five this afternoon or we had 10 last night. I had to start turning my phone on silent because um, there'd be a little indicator when somebody would register for the tournament. It'd be like two o'clock in the morning. I'd be like, who are you? And you, you're coming from where? I'm like, you're coming from West Virginia <laughs> to fish our tournament? We had a family come from West Virginia to fish our tournament. We had a guy come from Washington State fish our tournament and as of right now actually i'll rephrase that last week was the last time i physically went in and did the count we were sitting at 70 people registered to fish the tournament so i wouldn't be surprised if we had 150 or more people wow so um and i don't know um we we've, we've talked about do we want to cap it do we want to make it more of an intimate tournament so do we say hey the first you know 150 or the first 200 in the years to come um, we've, we've entertained that. We're not sure where that's going to go. Um, carrying capacity is important too, because it takes a lot of volunteers and it takes a lot of off season work to make one of these tournaments happen. Um, but it, it was phenomenal for us because it was a great success. And, um, and it allowed us these seven camps that we've, we've done this year. Um, we've been able to handle those camps with money that was raised from last year's fishing tournament. Um, which kind of relieves us of the perpetual fundraising. So it's, it's been a huge help. There's a good chance Abby and I are coming. We're actually still looking at the calendar to make sure that we can adjust ourselves because uh, October all of a sudden turned into, wow, we have how many tournaments we have to fish in October? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and you guys are only a seven-hour drive, I believe, for us. So yeah, we've been, we've been talking more and more about it. it it's going to be a good time. You guys have done great things with it, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's um, and just to tell people, it's uh, I'll give them some of the basics of the tournament. So obviously, October eighth and ninth on St. Simon's Island, we have two zones. We have a a large stretch of beach on the north side. So when when I said the Coast Guard beach and the blue carpet earlier, that's where me and my dad fish. That's where the north zone starts, and I'm gonna be fishing. I got some kids, um, that Caroline and I are fishing with some kids that um don't don't have the ability to do this kind of fishing we'll be fishing specifically with me and caroline um so we're going to fish near the blue carpet and everything north of there um to where the boundary ends is the north side and then we have a south zone which is closer to some of that deeper water that i talked about earlier you have a little bit more of a current rip um you're definitely going to feel the effects of the high tide there because that water pushes up against the the riprap um, and you'll lose some real estate, but it's, it's definitely fishable because we're going to have six hours of an outgoing tide 
um, and you're going to have two hours of the incoming. So you're going to get both, uh, both tides. You're going to get to switch on both ends, um, which obviously anyone that fishes a surf knows that usually um, those are some of the best times uh, for the bite. Two rods per person, no air delivery of baits. So no, um, no drone, no kayaking baits out. Uh, you can wade as far as you're comfortable wading and cast out. Um, we want to make it an even playing field for everybody. The adult division is um, anybody 15 and older, and the youth division is, or excuse me, 16 and older for the adults, and the youth division is 15 and younger. And probably one of the more common questions I get is, well, does my kid have to do all of the work? Well, obviously not. I don't think an eight-year-old is going to be able to cast a five-ounce Sputnik or a four-ounce <laughs> Sputnik with, you know, an ounce of mullet on it or whatever you're using. Um, so the parent most definitely or the person fishing with them can wade the bait out, set the rod, set the drag, put it in the sand spike, and then when the rod goes off and you have a fish on, the adult can actually take the rod out of the, the sand spike set the hook and hand the fish, hand the rod off to the kid. Um, the objective is for the kid to do a lot of the reeling. Um, and a parent can obviously hold the rod. You don't want to lose a good rig to the surf. Um, for the youth division, it's about the experience. Um, there are some kids in the tournament that are very, very good anglers um, that know what they're doing. Um, but last year, the girl that took second place, um, not a very big um, angler being on the beach and the dad was like I thought this was going to be a cool thing for me and her to experience and she took second place I, I think that's awesome um, so it's really about getting out there with your kid or your grandkid or the neighbor's kid or like me I'm going to be fishing five kids in Caroline that that don't get to do this kind of fishing so it's more about giving them an experience and spending that time um, and the kids will win um, some pretty high-end prizes when it comes to fishing. And some of the donated items will go to them. The kids don't compete for the cash prize, the entry cash prize. The adults do. Um, the adults are cash, cash return based on entries. We announced that by end of September. We like to give people an idea of what the pot looks like. Um, and obviously, as more people join in, that pot just continues to go up. And then we always... We always give, um, like last year, the, the guy that took first also got, he got his cash prize and he got a Yeti, uh, Yeti 46, I think, cooler. Um, second place guy got a beach cart and the third place guy got an angle live well uh, in addition to their cash prizes. So we always pump up the prize pool a little bit with some donated gifts. Pretty, pretty cool tournament. Um, last year, the amount of positive comments, um, that I got, and I won't say the person in the company that they represent, but they, they said, I've been to a lot of these, and it's amazing how well yours was put together for the first year. Um, and we're pretty proud of that. We, we got some good support. Yes, you absolutely should be. Well, with that being said, here we go on the last one.
It is your third and final bait check for the show. This bait check is brought to you by Deerfield Welding, Welding and Fabrication. Head on over to DeerfieldFabandWeld.com and take a look at the carts and the products that they're setting up for the surf, surf collection, sand spikes, wheels, all of it. They can do custom welding and CNC. So head on over to Deerfield Fabrication or Deerfield Fab and Welding or Weld. Oh my gosh. DeerfieldFabandWeld.com and take a look at all the gear that they have and get your order in soon because his queue is filling up. So with the tournament, um, we're going to get you here in the last couple questions. Um, is the catches, are you bringing them in or is it photo and tape? How does that work? Yeah, so it's um, it's a it's a photo tape release, obvious. These are out-of-slot fish. Um, there's beach judges throughout the fishing zones. We have them in a high visibility, um, almost like a traffic vest that, the, that if someone was a cross, you know, a school crossing attendant would be wearing. So they're, they're easy, easy to be seen on the beach and they're periodically spaced out. Um, once that fish hits the sand, um, or has, you know, you know, in the water and it's considered a landed fish, you got to get that thing back in soon. The judge is going to um, take good measurement. We have um, a lot of kids like the National Honor Society kids and some of the ROTC kids, um, kids that are like 16 and older are beach judges. To make it easy on all of our beach judges, we do a total length. Um, we don't do the pinch tail thing. We learned last year that um, some of the kids are like, well, what does a pinch tail mean? And where exactly am I measuring? And there was a lot of, um, double checking and different things. So we're, we're going to just do a total length, uh, tip to tail and, and call it good there. Um, the tiebreaker is spots. So let's say we have two people with a 45 inch redfish and we have a, a tie, it'll go down to the most spots. So, um, whoever's the most spots would be the first place winner and then that person would be the second place and so on um, we do have a calcutta the calcutta is a single redfish with the most spots so the calcutta is pretty interesting that was a a, a favorite too everybody seemed to enjoy the calcutta last year um, you know you, you could catch a a 30 inch redfish that has 30 spots on it and win the calcutta um, which is, which is kind of cool. So, um, we, we had a good time with that last year and, um, we, we get the measurement. We take a photo of the angler. We log it on a paper copy at the beach and then the beach judge phones or text messages into, we have an official score, um, record keeper that keeps a database of the name, the length, number of spots, um, an approximate location of where it was caught and then obviously tracking the Calcutta. So it was a, a pretty efficient system. It worked out well last year. That sounds great, man. That's going to be a lot of fun. All right. I'm getting you down to your last two questions. Oh, make that three questions. Where can people go to sign up for the tournament? Yeah. So if you're just interested in uh, what the tournament's all about, if you want to see all the sponsors and the things that are going to be donated and given away, uh, we have a Facebook group called uh, St. Simon's Island Running of the Bulls. So if you type in SSI Running of the Bulls, that should populate. The registration for the tournament is at www.kidscanfish.net. Um, you'll see a tournament link, uh, the tournament rules, where to park, 
where our Friday party is, where the awards banquet is, all the information you could ever think of. What kind, you know, we don't limit bait. You can use live bait, frozen bait, cup bait, whatever you want. It goes over everything to include the kids' rules um, and the information about how to get a Georgia fishing license. It's got everything you need. So Facebook is a great place to look, but the actual registration is on the kidscanfish.net website. And um, it's really easy to use. The entry fee is $65 for adults and $35 for the kids. We have a really awesome tournament shirt that should be getting here. I'm, I'm hoping to see it by Saturday, if not beginning of next week. And, um, and a really awesome uh, tournament towel that we're offering up this year as well. So um, the shirts are pre-order sales on the website. Um, and we've been selling a lot of them, uh, pre-order sales. So that's been going pretty good. That's great, man. All right, here's your last one. Last two for real. <laughs> what do you recommend to someone new that's coming to your area to fish that has never been there before, before they even start fishing? Well, if they know the kids can't fish is here in the area, you should message me on Facebook, and there's a good chance I'll uh, I'll have an opportunity for you. Um, honestly, I that, that probably is would be my advice. If someone's coming to my area that's new, um, I've had these conversations on Facebook and through Instagram. Um, if you're coming to my area and you want some knowledge, um, message me, find us on our social media platforms. I'll get you pointed in the right direction. What I would tell you is, um, Hey, we're having a cast net clinic on Sunday on St. Simon's Island. Why don't you come out to that and you'll at least see a good place to get bait. Um, because I take you to a spot that I know there's bait every single time. Um, and you learn how to cast net at the same time doing it. So um, we usually have a camp whenever those those emails or those uh, messages come in. I usually know that I have a camp right around the corner. And I can say, hey, well, come to this camp. It's a good place to, to kind of meet the people in this fishing community. That's great stuff, man. Yeah. Phone's going to be blowing up. All right, your final question of the day. What's next for you? You know what? I, I think I was going to get into um, this earlier, and I didn't get to it. One of the questions I get asked the most, and I know exactly where I was talking about, people think we make money off of Kids Can't Fish, which we don't. People ask me the long-term vision of what this is going to be. I would love nothing more than Caroline to go to school um, and let's say she's going to school to become a nurse, right? Just make that up and maybe get some business classes in under her belt and take over this foundation. So when she's going to ICAST as a 20 some year old lady, a uh, young lady can say, this is the kids can fish foundation. And this is what I started at nine years old and wonder what that'll look like that would be that's legacy talk is kids can't fish gonna last for 50 years i don't know is it gonna last for five years i don't know i know we're having a heck of a lot of fun with it and we are meeting some of the world's best people um the fishing community is filled with amazing amazing people with the biggest hearts and um you will meet some of the best friends you'll ever have through the sport of fishing and um what's next for me is to keep doing that and slowly but surely um, pass things on to Caroline that she can start helping with that are age appropriate. I mean, she's 12 over. And um, 
down the road, it would be interesting to see if she, uh, if I had vision of the future to see if uh, in her twenties and thirties, if she's keeping this thing afloat that, that she started when she was nine, that'd be pretty cool. It would be really cool, man. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for taking the entire evening and talking with me. No, I, this has been an awesome experience. So thank you for, for asking us to do this. Um, trust me, it's, it's our honor being on your show. Well, I got to steal knowledge and get to know more, so I'm, I'm totally winning on this. But <laughs> I'm glad that we could do it, uh, especially with the St. Simons Island, learning all about that, the redfish. I, I am very shocked about the pompano not cruising through your area. I mean, it's that's a, that's a bit of a shock to me. But uh, all of this, just everything you've done with the foundation that you and Caroline have built, worked with, and just continued to make it, even better for you all and kids and getting them involved and all these pieces put together is amazing. And I'm very thankful that you were willing to come on and talk about it so openly and candidly and help, you know, hopefully we can help you out somehow out there. So really thank you so much. No, thank you. Well, we'll be talking soon. So I'll talk to you later. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I got a whole page of notes. (laughs) <laughs> lots of good things that happened tonight so again if you want to help out with the foundation support them you can head on over to the website as we said earlier it'll also be hyperlinked back in the notes section on wherever you found this it'll also be on my website findingdemosurfishing.com and throughout the transistor page if you go back you'll be able to link up with this again on their website it is kidscanfish.net you can find them on all social media platforms for Facebook, YouTube, Instagram they have it all on there So thank you so much for sticking around. I appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed the show. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. I'm out of here. (laughs) 